Well, good morning. Good to be with you. Um, this is our, our last in our series on work, and my apologies for the interruption last week. And uh, next week, we'll actually be, be beginning a short series on Jonah, which will take us all the way through till Christmas. And that's the first time you heard that word here from the pulpit. Let's pray that God would give us understanding of his word. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do pray that you would help us in our labours in your word today. Through your spirit, give us understanding and insight so that we might see what you have written here for us. And then give us the strength to make these words a reality in our lives. And we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Today I want to ask you a hard question, a question that you might not like the answer to, although it is not my answer that I'll be giving. I'm just the messenger boy today. And that is, uh, what's the point of life when it's just eat, sleep, work, repeat? We spend our lives working, laboring and toiling, and what do we have to show for it? What actually is the reason for keeping on going? Our work feels like it should have value. What we do feels like it should be lasting and meaningful and significant and fulfilling, especially after some of the sermons that we've heard recently. Uh, and sometimes it is true, sometimes our work does feel like that way, especially for those of us here in the wealthy West. But the bottom line is that for most people at most times in most places, that's a nonsense. That's not what work feels like. That's not what the day-to-day of life feels like. Uh, work is frustrating. It's futile. It's repetitive. And most people only do it because really they have no other choice. I saw a great little bumper sticker years and years ago. I owe, I owe, therefore it's off to work I go. That's true, isn't it? Uh, These stats are a little bit old, but uh, one-third of Australians hate their job. Two-thirds of Australians work in a job that they do not want to work in. The majority of people find no satisfaction in their work. Uh, Most suicides occur when? Sunday night, because they can't face going to work on Monday morning. Most heart attacks happen when? Monday morning as the stress of work for the week begins again. Most people dread their work. They dread those, at least the 100,000 hours of of time that paid work takes from most people's lives, let alone the rest of the work we do in our lives. And it's led to some really strange things going on in our community as well. Uh, Right now, there's this huge push towards sort of a kind of a four-day working week. We're working too much, some people are saying. And yet, on the other hand, now, there's an increasing upward pressure on the retirement age. And so right now in the UK, uh, one in nine workers are working past the age of 65. You know, there's, somehow we're working too much, but yet at the same time, we need to keep working longer. We need to keep, keep kind of going. Uh, you know, when are they ever going to let us stop working? And as I shared with you just a couple of weeks ago, the Diocese of Perth removed the retirement age, which means that I'm now here until they carry me out in the box one day. And then there, of course, there is the unpaid labour that's no different. Uh, The comedian Dylan Moran once summarised life as gardening, 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 and then death. And uh, I I think he was onto something. I think gardening is just a huge waste of time. (laughs) Thank you for the people who got that pun. And you look, you know, we've got four kids at home. It does not matter how many times you vacuum the dining room floor, it always needs another go. 
we, we want our work, we want our labour to have meaning. It's just hard to feel like it ever does. Uh, and even the most dedicated of us have moments where we just feel like chucking it all in. And here is the answer that the Bible gives us that we might not like. That feeling, that pointlessness to all that we do, that feeling that all of it is in vain, that feeling is right. That instinct is true. That is actually an accurate way of understanding our lives in a fallen world. But here's the other thing that the God's word has to say. Even as that feeling is right, the Bible says there is a work that we can be part of, a work that does have meaning, a work that does have a point, a labor that does not just last, a labor that lasts forever. Something that has happened in our universe is so incredible that it actually radically and permanently changes the value of everything that we do. And that something is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so today, there's two things I want to talk to you about. It's there in the outline that you would have got as you you came in. I want to talk to you about a a labour that is in vain from Ecclesiastes chapter 1. And I want to talk to you about a labour that is not in vain from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, particularly that, that wonderful last verse in verse 58. So do please, if you can juggle it, keep a finger in each of one of those passages. Uh, We'll go through each one of them, one at a time. But firstly then, what is the labour that is in vain? What is the labour that is not lasting, not meaningful, not significant, not fulfilling? And according to the teacher of Ecclesiastes, all of our labours are like that. All of our labour is in vain. Everything that we do, everything that we strive for under the sun is pointless. He says, come to Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 3 with me, would you? Uh, If I had to sum up what Ecclesiastes is all about, I would say that it is the teacher's search for gain under the sun. Verse 3, what do people gain from all their labours at which they toil under the sun? Uh, The teacher, he's looking for gain. That is, he's looking for something meaningful, for something permanent, for something that lasts, some some profit, some lasting, satisfying thing, something that's worth actually giving your life to, Uh, something that we can dedicate all our labours and our strivings towards. And what's his conclusion? Just the verse before, verse 2? Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Or you've got an older translation, vanity of vanities. Everything is vanity. There is no gain to all of our labours, is his conclusion. It's all pointless. Now, I think one of the best ways to understand the book of Ecclesiastes is it's a little bit like the story of the three little pigs. You know the story of the three little pigs? Uh, who are, uh, they hide in, in different houses, but the big bad wolf comes along and blows every one of those, those houses down. Well, in Ecclesiastes, the, the teacher uh, tries hiding in all sorts of different houses to try and find meaning. He looks everywhere for gain. He searches with great care and great wisdom. He engages in all sorts of labours in the, uh, the great projects of his day the greatest artistic and intellectual and commercial and cultural and architectural achievements of his day were all done by him. And he searches for meaning in any of them, 
But every single time, every time he thinks he's found a, a safe refuge, the big bad wolf of meaningless comes and blows down that house as well. And time and time again, the teacher realizes that you can't hide there. That too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Now, when he says that there's no meaning there, the teacher doesn't mean that there's no meaning at all. What he really means is that everything is just so temporary. That's his great observation. Everything is, is just like a breath. You know, I was away from you uh, last week. I was actually in, in Katoomba in uh, New South Wales. It was one degree on Saturday morning, which was quite a surprise. I walked outside. I, I breathed out. Of course, what did I say? The great big white plume that, that's beautiful, that, that, that's there for a moment, and, and then it vanishes. Uh, warm breath on a cold day. Uh, that's what the teacher means. Yes, it's, it's beautiful. Yes, it's there. The problem is, it's just so temporary. Everything that we do is just so temporary. It's beautiful in its time. Its time is just so short. And so all that we do is fleeting and futile against the march of time and the inevitability of death. So have a look again. Verse 3. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and, and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind and on its circuit the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. Life, says the teacher, it's almost like a picture with kind of two speeds. It's, it's almost like a, a slow motion picture where in the background, what do we see? Well, we can see very, very slowly, we can see uh, the earth turning, the sun rising and setting, the wind blowing, the, the rivers running, all happening slowly and all happening again and again and again, over and over forever. But in the foreground of the picture, rushing around so quickly, so quickly that it's a blur, we can barely make it out, are human beings living out their lives, working, toiling, laboring. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. They're so busy, and yet compared to eternity, compared to forever, what does it amount to? What are all human accomplishments compared to forever? Because it doesn't matter how much you achieve. When you divide by forever, it equals exactly nothing. Uh, you know, the teacher, he's the, the stark realist of the Bible. He captures brilliantly both the toil and joy, both the fleeting success and the immense frustration that we all experience in our labors. And so what's his conclusion? What's the best that we can hope for? It comes a little later, later in chapter 2, verse 24. He says, A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toil. That's the best you can hope for, he says, that you just enjoy your labours, that you just enjoy the toil that God has given you. Enjoy the moment. Everything is beautiful in its time. There is a goodness to our work. There is an importance to our work. It's just that its time is short and our moment is fleeting. And so just don't kid yourself into thinking that anything has any lasting significance. It's a stark word that the teacher has for us. And of course, some of us might want to 
refused to accept his conclusions about our own labours. And the truth is, of course, if it was just me saying this, then you'd have every right to, re to reject them. Uh, if this was my conclusion, then you could dismiss it. Uh, after all, the less impressive the person, the more it just kind of feels like their problem. You know, maybe Evan just had a, a bad week. And what really has Evan accomplished anyway in life? But this would sound very different, wouldn't it, if it was coming from the lips of someone like Elon Musk or Bill Gates. If they said to us, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless, then we would come to a very different conclusion, wouldn't we? Suddenly it doesn't just sound like a problem for them, it sounds like a problem for, for all of us. Uh, sadly, I couldn't secure any of their services for you today. Uh, Elon has his own problems with fleeting value at the moment. But of course, that's where we need to remind ourselves who the teacher is. Uh, the teacher is King Solomon. He, he's not named, but he's identified for us as a son of David who ruled in Jerusalem. There's only one son of David who did that, and that's King Solomon. Uh, there was no king like him, either before or after. Uh, he had resources and abilities that you and I can only dream of in his quest for meaning, and he still found nothing. I know I've said this before, but I think our problem is that we're middle class. Uh, our problem is that there is a lie that we are sold, which is a lie that we tell ourselves. And that is, is that, yes, there is meaning to all of our labour under the sun, or at least there will be. You know, if, if only I was just, if I just worked a little harder, did a little better, rose a little higher, earned a little more, enjoyed things a, a little bit extra... Surely it's the next step in front of me. That's the one that will deliver the satisfaction and the gain and, and the meaning that I'm searching for. And if not that step, then surely the step after that. But of course, Solomon reached the very top, didn't he? He followed that path to the very end. He reached the very heights of what can be achieved in life. And what did he see from his lofty summit? He saw nothing. Nothing that mattered. Nothing that last. He found no house of bricks in which to hide. Solomon's conclusion remains unchanged. What do we gain from all of our labours? Meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And so who are we to disagree with him? Certainly not I. But there is one who disagrees, one who comes some 3,000 years later, and that someone is Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And here we turn to our second passage, to 1 Corinthians 15. I do hope you kept your fingers in, the, in that page, but uh, here, right at the end, verse 58, the apostle Paul says something that is very different to the teacher of Ecclesiastes. In fact, it's the exact opposite. Uh, and it comes to us like a, a cool glass of water on a, on a hot, thirsty day. Verse 58, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. See, there is, says Paul, a labour that is not in vain. That is, there is a labour that is lasting that is meaningful, that is significant, that is fulfilling, and that is forever. And there is a reason always to give yourself fully to this kind of labour. And the reason 
is that this life is not all that there is. There is more to life than a chasing after gain under the sun. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is a life that goes on forever. Now, of course, this begs the question, what does Paul mean when he says, uh, your labour in the Lord is not in vain? What's the labour of the Lord there in verse 58? Well, um, you know, that is the labour that's not in vain. So what do we understand by that? Well, grammatically, it is very, very similar to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1, and also 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 10. And in both of those places, if you want to look them up later, uh, Paul uses the phrase to describe the work of gospel ministry that he has done in preaching the message of Jesus Christ to the Corinthians, uh, in seeking to win people to Christ and to, to grow them in Christ. That's what he means by labour in the Lord. But why that is significant is very clear, I think, in 1 Corinthians 15 itself. Uh, because what is this chapter actually about? Well, it's actually it's a chapter about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, if you've got your Bibles open there, come all the way back to the beginning. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. We will, I'm not going to take it through you verse by verse or anything like that. We don't have time for that. Uh, but right back at the beginning, Paul actually gives us a summary of the gospel. Uh, uh, the gospel that we have believed and the gospel by which we are saved if we hold firmly to the gospel word. You know, so don't change it. Don't lose it. Don't give up on it. Don't be ashamed of it, uh, says Paul, lest it all be in vain. And what is that gospel in, in verses 3 to 8? Uh, well, it is that Jesus Christ died as a sacrifice for our sins. That Jesus Christ was the one true, perfect and sufficient sacrifice for not just our sins, but for the sins of the world. Uh, he died to take on himself the consequences of our rebellion against God. And having died, he was buried. And then he was, verse 4, raised to life again. And having been raised, he was seen alive by Peter, by the Twelve, by uh, more than 500, and then finally even by the Apostle Paul himself. You know, there are eyewitnesses. Uh, Jesus truly walked out of the grave as truly as you or I are sitting here today. A resurrection body, never to die again. The grave is empty. And the Apostle Paul passes this on to us as of first importance. What could be more important than this? Salvation from sin. The resurrection of Jesus. Someone has, has conquered death and rose again from the grave to demonstrate that he really did it. And he rules now and reigns forever as the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Paul goes on to spend most of the rest of the chapter uh, reminding us that actually the resurrection of Jesus is the first fruits of our resurrection. That's the phrase he uses in verses 20 to 22. Uh, and just as the first fruits of a harvest announce that there is a, a great harvest to come, so too it is with Jesus. His resurrection is the announcement of a much greater resurrection to come. He rose from the dead never to die again as proof that one day all who trust in him will rise from the dead never to die again. And we will reign with him forever. One day we will be he says, imperishable and glorious and powerful and spiritual, verses 42 to 44. We will bear the image of the heavenly man in verse 49. We will receive victory over death, sin and the law through our Lord Jesus Christ in verse 57. Are you beginning to, to sort of see where I'm going with all of this? 
the teacher of Ecclesiastes says, it doesn't matter what you achieve in life. It doesn't matter what you work for in life. When you divide it for, by forever, it equals exactly nothing. It's all in vain. And what does Paul say? What if there is something that lasts forever? What if there are people? People who come to faith in Jesus now, who because of that faith in Jesus Christ will last forever. People who will be raised immortal never to die again. Because if that is true, then suddenly there is a labour that is not in vain. There is something that we can do right here, right now with our lives that has eternal impact and forever consequences. Suddenly there is a work of the Lord that's worth giving ourselves fully towards. And it is the work of gospel ministry. It is the work of making disciples. It is the work of winning people for Christ and growing them in Christ. And what could be more important than that? Now, we all do different kinds of work in this world, don't we? Some of us are accountants and engineers and teachers and doctors and parents and plumbers and students. Some of us pack the shelves at Woolies. And don't mishear me. All of these things are important. They're significant. They are valuable. And we need them. I need them. And they need to be done as if serving the Lord out of our dedication to the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything that we've talked about the last uh, couple of weeks as we've talked about work, all of those things are still valid and still true. But there's only one kind of work that when viewed in light of eternity is not in vain. Because there's only one kind of work that lasts eternally. See, the accounting, the lawyering, you know, you know the results of these things. You know how long they will last for. Uh, I was a, a computer programmer for years. You know, there is not a scrap of code anywhere that I laboured on that's still being used. Actually, that's probably not true. If I know computer programmers, there's a little thing that I threw together one afternoon that's still the linchpin of some server somewhere, and no one knows what it does, but if anyone deletes it, the whole thing collapses. But, you know... <laughs> That's a little programmer humour for all of you. But the point is that our labours, they don't last. The grass grows back. Cook dinner tonight, you'll have to do it tomorrow night and the night after and the night after that. The floor can always use another vacuum. The doctor who heals someone one day knows that no matter how well they do their work, one day that patient will die. One day we will all die. We are all just living out our lives in line, waiting for the crematorium. But you bring a child to faith in Jesus Christ, and you establish them in that, and you have done a work that lasts forever. You encourage a fellow believer to persevere and not to give up, and you have done something more glorious that will last longer than anything Solomon ever achieved. You walk alongside a brother or sister in hard times, always ready with the gentle word of gospel encouragement 
and your labour in the Lord is never in vain. Michael and Crystal, we did talk about that. Michael and Crystal from our 11 o'clock service, uh, they were most recently in Jerusalem to, to volunteer at something called the, the Garden Tomb, uh, to, to seek to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people who came to that great city. And even as the rockets were flying overhead and they could hear the explosions, what was their instinct? To stay. Because what they were doing was important. Sharing Christ was important. Every day of our life, we have opportunities to be part of the labour of the Lord. You know, teach a Sunday school class, help out with chair exercises, uh, serve morning tea at church, lead the music, even just coming to church ready with a word of encouragement for the brothers and sisters. Or go to Beach Mission, help out with a Crew West camp, or even just speak of Jesus with a friend at, at work or at university, or even with just the person who makes you your coffee in the morning. Spend time reading the Bible and praying with your kids. Care for the Christian friend who is sick. Every day of our life we have opportunities to be part of the labour of the Lord that is not in vain. And sometimes those things, they feel like a distraction. They feel like the distraction from kind of the, the more important things that we are doing in life. But let me say to you that if what Paul says is true, they are not the distraction, the rest of life is the distraction. A necessary distraction, but they are the distraction. They, that, that work of the Lord, that is the thing that lasts forever because they are the people who will last forever. Isn't it fascinating? How precious are Christian relationships? Because they are the relationships that last forever. And so the teacher asks, what do people gain from all their labours at which they toil under the sun? And Paul answers, our labour in the Lord is never in vain. Now, here I know what you're thinking. I know what some of you are thinking. Because uh, it's what people always think when I talk like this. Uh, some of you are thinking, Evan, this is very convenient for you. Because you get to spend most of your time doing this labour in the Lord. Uh, that's not what the rest of us get to do. Uh, and that's true. There's no point in denying that. And so instead, let me thank you for making that possible. Because I can only do this because of you. I can only do this because of your support. It's the money that you give to St. Matthew's that means that I and the rest of the ministry team here can be paid to do this. Uh, giving to the labour of the Lord is also a labour in the Lord. It is a gospel partnership. We, we mean that. When we talk about our gospel partners that we send out in the world, we mean that. It is a real partnership. Now, there's a wonderful little book I remember reading uh, years and years ago that was full of stories of people whose generosity changed the world for Jesus, people who, who used kind of their connections and, their, and, their, and particularly their, their cash uh, to help the cause of the gospel and pointed out that actually behind almost all of the great ones of Christian history, there was always someone in the wings that kind of made it possible. So, you know, the great uh, Martin Luther, the, the great reformer, well, behind him was a man called Frederick the Elector, uh, who financed Luther's ministry and even protected him politically for over 30 years. Or William Tyndale, who was the first to translate the Bible into English, 
Uh, behind him was a na name, man named Henry Monmouth. He was a, a very successful textile dealer. He paid for that translation to happen. Uh, he even went to prison uh, so that it could be published. Or my favourite one is uh, George Whitfield, the great 18th century evangelist. Uh, behind him was a woman called Lady Huntington. Uh, Lady Huntington was an extremely wealthy and, and well-connected British noblewoman. Um, and she used to kind of throw these lavish society dinners. Uh, and she used to invite members of the royal family they would regularly attend. Um, and then uh, after dinner, she would get George Whitfield to evangelise her, all her guests for an hour, you know. Uh, Christianity explored for the British upper crust. It was, it was amazing. Uh, really, and they were just following the examples of of many in the New Testament, women like uh, Lydia and Phoebe who used what they had to help Paul in his mission journeys. And who knows, some of you here might be so successful in life, so, so financially successful in life that you might even be able to fund whole ministries, in which case, look me up, I've always got ideas, come talk to me. But the truth is, I actually deserve very little credit for the labours that I do. Most of that credit belongs to God he is the one who works through me, and whatever gifts I have are the gifts he's given. A lot of the rest of the credit belongs to those who give, who give me the time to be able to do what I do. And the rest belongs to the prayers. The prayers. The ranks of the prayers who will be gathered around the throne of grace to receive their award will push preachers like me so far to the back we will not be seen. Not a second spent in prayer is ever in vain. But having just given away all the credit for everything that I do, some of you need to join me. Some of you have gifts, you have the godliness, you have the opportunities to think about giving up paid work or doing less paid work and devoting yourself more towards the labour of the Lord. And I want to encourage you to think very carefully and very deeply about the opportunity that God is giving you to do that. The labour needs its leaders, it needs its pastors, it needs its teachers, its church planners, it needs its preachers. And that means that some of us need to give up paid work and be part of the labour in that way. let's finish up. The teacher began by looking for gain, something permanent, something that lasts, something that satisfies, something that is worth giving your life to. And Paul says to us all now, here it is. Your labor in the Lord, being part of, of laboring the, in the proclamation of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is never in vain. Is it costly? You bet it is. There's a reason why the middle of 1 Corinthians 15 is all about suffering. But is it worth it? Well, how much is too much to pay to establish someone in Jesus Christ? To save them from hell. To give them eternal life. A life with Christ Forever. How much is too much to pay to do that? How much did God himself pay to do that? He who did not spare his only son, but gave him up for us all. And what are we really paying 
when we sacrifice for this work, when we've got an eternal hope. We're just giving up something that is in vain for something that's not in vain. We're giving up something that is temporary for something that is eternal. We're giving up something that we can never keep for something we will never lose. And when you put it like that, the answer is easy, isn't it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one perfect sacrifice not just for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. By his blood we are forgiven. By his victory we are set free. By his resurrection we have received eternal life. We praise you, Lord. In Jesus we have everything we need. And none of it do we deserve. It's all a gift from you. And yet to all that you have given us even more. You have given us the chance to be part of your work in Christ Jesus. A labour that is never in vain. Something we can do that we will be able to look at and feel proud of for all eternity. Lord, what an extraordinary act of grace you have shown us. Therefore, Lord, may nothing move us. And may each of us give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord that you have given each one of us to do. And we ask it in Jesus' name and to his glory. Amen.